Welcome to the Glojo Podcast. I'm your host, Leanne Kalal, and every week I'll be sharing thought-provoking, soul-soothing, and inspiring conversations from personal stories to insider tips and tricks. At the Glojo, you can always find what you need when you need it most. This is permission. Permission to be you, permission to be messy, permission to feel all the feels. So what do you say? Let's do this together. I'll see you in the Glojo. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Glojo podcast. I'm your host, Leanne Kalal. And right now I am recording this intro on the road. I am in Seattle and it is sunny. I am in sunny Seattle and that is not always common at this time of year. It's been a beautiful day and I walked down to Pike Place Market or the Pike is a Pike Place, Pike Place Market. I think that's what it's called. Um, and I plan on going there for breakfast tomorrow. So anyways, I'm recording this in my hotel room. This is my on-the-go travel studio. I hope the sound is still A-OK for you. And I am really excited about today's episode. Today, I am sharing the interview that I did with the fabulous, the wonderful Krista Williams. And Krista is the co-founder of Almost 30. Almost 30 is an absolutely incredible, like worldwide podcast phenomena. That's what I'll say. It's in the top 50 podcasts in the world. They have over 100 million downloads. And when when I say they, I am referencing Krista and her partner or her business partner, podcast partner, Lindsay. And these ladies are the OGs in the podcast space. And I actually did a podcast coaching or training program with them a couple of years ago when I first got into podcasting and I learned so much from them. And I was super, super grateful for the experience. And today, Krista and I talk about what it is like to be a highly sensitive, empathic, feeling being, especially in the world right now. Things have been crazy. And you know, this episode for me, it's it's a special one. It's an important one for so many reasons. So first I'll just share a little bit about what we talk about. And then I'm going to share a little bit about my personal experience with recording this episode because typically I would have probably edited a lot more than what I did. But before I share my personal experience, here are a few things that Kristen and I cover. So we talk about why sensitivity is actually a superpower. People told me this over the years and I never believed it. Now I do. I get it. And I want everyone to know if you are sensitive, if you're empathic, it is a superpower and and you're empathic and sensitive for a reason. We also talk about how to take your power back tools to help you clear your energy. 
lessons from the darkness retreat that Krista did. And we also talk about what it's like to be a perfectionist. So there's a quick overview of some of the highlights we talk about. We cover so many things in this episode. And here is why this episode was pivotal for me and why it's vulnerable. I started the interview with Krista and I just kind of started rambling and I was rambling and rambling, feeling uncomfortable. And then before I know it, I started sweating, like profusely sweating. And it was winter in Vancouver and my office was not warm. And then right after the sweat came the tears and I just started crying and the tears were just streaming down my face. And Krista was so incredible. She held space, but I just kept crying and crying. And so then I'm like, do you know what? Screw it. Let's just get this interview going. So this interview starts with me crying. And I think there's a few different reasons. I was listening back to the, through the interview when I was editing and I'm like, oh, I think that that was a moment that maybe triggered something within me. And I got emotional and that was a moment. And and one of the things that we talk about in the episode is, you know, when you actually go outside of your comfort zone. And for me, this was going outside of my comfort zone. This was having a conversation with someone that I look up to and about a topic that clearly I'm like highly invested in for many, many reasons. Um, so all that being said, I hope you enjoy this episode. I hope you enjoy my vulnerability, I guess, in the tears. And just know that I think that I chose to just start start the conversation, crying and all, because that's life. Things aren't always perfect. And I've really been working on overcoming perfectionism and just being more honest and authentic with myself and with everyone. And this is obviously one of the goals of the podcast. And I'm like, you know, I need to start embracing this. So this episode is not perfect, but I think it's damn good. And there's a lot of value in there. And I hope that you enjoy it. And I look forward to hearing your thoughts on it. Reach out to me. Let me know what you think at Leanne Kalal and at the Glojo on Instagram. And you, I've also linked to how you can reach out to Krista in the show notes. So Okay. That's all for now. Well, actually, no, that is not. One more thing. If you have not yet liked or subscribed or followed the Glojo podcast on whatever podcast platform you listen to, I would really appreciate it if you did. It really, really helps spread the word. Downloading episodes also makes a big difference writing a review, rating the show on platforms that allow you to do those things and sharing it. Sharing is caring and it is free. So if you resonate with this episode or if you know someone who would really benefit from it, please share. I would truly, truly appreciate it. Um, And I do, I appreciate all of the support. So, all right, that's all for now. Enjoy the episode and I will look forward to connecting with you again soon and hearing your thoughts. Hi, everyone. This is Leanne, and I'm starting the episode with tears streaming down my face today, mixed in with some sweat. And I'm here with Krista Williams. And I'm so excited to talk to you today. And I want to talk to you about being a deeply feeling person. And like, clearly, I am deeply feeling right now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I mean, you got the glow, Joe. (laughs) 
for real going on with those tears, just like totally enhancing all of your natural beauty. And <laughs> I'm sure there's so many people in your audience that can relate to you and that have been healed by, you know, your openness about being someone that's sensitive and being someone that's a deep feeler and being someone that can cry when you're feeling something and be that in touch with your emotions. Um, it's such a beautiful gift that you have, you know, that you, and I'm starting to get um, teary eyed too, that you allow yourself to feel, that you allow this expression and this buildup in your body to be released. You know, you allow this experience of being open in your emotions. Not everyone does that. And a lot of people stuff and stifle and it makes them very sick. And so it's actually a really beautiful thing that you have this access to your to your feelings and your emotions because from where I sit, I am all feelings, no facts. I'm just someone that is a deep feeler as well. And it was something that in my journey, I really resisted and I really um, felt angry about, to be honest. Um, I spent most of my life living in a household with um, parents that were very suppressive in their emotions. They didn't really talk about how they felt. They weren't talking about much of anything. And also there was a lot of mental health and there was a lot of emotional abuse and some other types of abuses as well. So when I was very, very young and I was a feeler, a lot of my feeling was very painful. It caused me to be very depressed from a young age to almost miss a lot of my childhood because I was so in the mix of a lot of different people and their emotions and their experiences in a very codependent way. And so I actually didn't love the fact that I was a feeler. I didn't love that I was very sensitive. I didn't love that there were fabrics that made me sick. They were just, the fabric felt off or that certain music would just make me kind of spin me out or even make me really happy or, you know, certain foods wouldn't sit with me and certain people I would just be really averse to from a young age, certain people I'd be really drawn to. And it wasn't until I got older and we were even with the podcast where I was able to step into my feeling and I was able to step into my emotions and step into the truth of who I am, which is someone that's a deep feeler and someone that's incredibly sensitive. And until we're able to really see and understand this sensitivity that you have as well as a gift and a superpower, life can be really challenging and we can feel a victim to other people's emotions, other places, energies, um, or situations that are happening that are outside of our control. So I very much relate. I think it's a beautiful thing. I think it's super powerful. I think we're going to be moving into an age where many more people are able to feel in the way that you are. And so I see it as something where you're just a leader leading us um, in the right direction of our true hearts. Well, thank you so much. You are so kind. And um, it's interesting, you know, when I was thinking about this interview and what I wanted to talk to you about and you know, I did like there was a part of me. I'm like, oh, I should cancel because I've got I'm like, I'm totally. just in it and I'm crabby and I'm crunchy totally. and I'm stressing out about all these different things that I'm PMSing. And it was just, you know, and then I'm like, no, this is perfect because so often I think it's like I show up and I and I, I want to get your perspective on this as well. But I show up with the shiny armor on and yes. being able to show up and do what I need to do and still acknowledge what I'm feeling, but, but pushing through. And I think that I do feel I create space for feeling, but sometimes it just wants to come out. And so what is your experience 
of or like with like creating space for your emotions mm-hmm. and and what about when emotions come up at times when it's really freaking inconvenient have you experienced mm-hmm. that before and like oh yes very much so and something i was thinking about when you were explaining your experience with this interview as an example um and i just want to say that i very much relate i think for most of the podcast interviews that we do i actually want to cancel them before we do them. Um, I'm like, oh my gosh, I just, I get grouchy. Like I just get a little bit grouchy. And over the years, what I've realized is that when I do feel that feeling, most of the time it's I'm pushing myself outside of my comfort zone. And there's an aspect of me that wants to stay safe and wants to stay small because that is protective. You know, when I'm in a bad mood before an interview, most of the time I'm pushing myself because we have a really big guest or a really big topic or I'm doing it by myself or something like that. And I'm getting grouchy because there's a lot of fear there. There's a lot of fear that I'm going to mess up, that I'm going to fail, that I'm not going to do it right and all these things. So what happens is I get in a bad mood and I start to sort of self-sabotage. So your experience could be something where you're self-sabotaging. You know, you have an opportunity to be in conversation with someone, you know, we know each other, but someone that, you know, you very much relate to and you might even put on a pedestal because that Mm -hmm. happens sometimes with social media. And then it can be like, you know what, you know, there's like a little girl part of you that's just kind of like trying to stay safe and is making you feel emotional or maybe making you feel scared. We had an interview a few weeks ago with someone that I deeply admire, someone who I'm a student of um, and I really look up to. I'm in her membership. She's a teacher. And I knew what would happen is she came for our interview and I was so excited to have her all of these things. And I just become this weirdo. I just, it's like, because I admire her and I put her on a pedestal, I'm just not myself. I just feel like I'm trying to put on, I'm like weird. I'm kind of standoffish and all of these things because there's an aspect of me that feels like it's a risk to put myself out there because I want her to like me so much. So when we meet new people or when we meet someone that's on the street or random, there's not really a risk because we don't really care or not if they like us. We obviously want them to like us, but it doesn't really matter if they accept us or see us as equals or whatever. But when we know someone from the internet or we know someone that we know of them parasocially, we have this desire for them to like us or to do well or to show up in a certain way. And sometimes it can be scary and you can just be like very grouchy and nervous for the process. So all that to say that for people listening, it's really, really important for you to be mindful about these feelings that come up and really just be in touch with the process because there is a truth that sometimes there could be an opportunity where you're feeling off or you're feeling you know, not ready or not in the mood. And that's a truth. And that's a part of us that we need to listen to. And we need to be like, you know what? I need a day. I need a moment. I need a day. I need to be with myself. And then there's also that feeling and experience that happens when we are actually going outside of our comfort zone or what Gay Hendricks calls um, the, it's in the zone of genius. When you're up into the point where you're going to be going past your comfort zone to make yourself grow or really live in a life that's of more alignment. So there's a lot that happens with that. But for me and my experience with feeling and being a deep feeler, a lot of it would happen when people were feeling um, they were crying or going through something. And then what I would do is I would see my worth and value in matching their emotions or matching their emotional experience. So at my home with all of the things that were going on, that's how I served my family. That's how I proved to them that I love them. That's how I proved my yeah worthiness of being in the home was energy matching. Um, 
And so for a lot of times, it wouldn't be that I knew what I was feeling at all. So if someone would come up to me and say, you know, how are you? How's everything? I actually would have no idea what they were talking about because I was so out of touch with my own emotions because I was only identifying with other people's emotions or the emotions of the room. So in that situation, for the most part, I would say, oh, you know, I'm fine. Like what's going on with you? And then I would totally deflect and focus all of the attention on the other person and spend my entire time talking about the other person's life, their experiences, what they were going through, and then sort of be completely invisible. It's something called self-erasure. So basically you erase the self to really focus on the other. And I would do that so much that I wouldn't really have any any in touch with my own feelings. So it's not like I was feeling so much all the time, but I was feeling whatever anyone else was feeling or the energy of the room or the energy of sort of the collective at the time. And it wouldn't be my authentic feeling. So what I had to do was really learn to tap into my emotions, tap into how I was feeling, get in touch and really pull myself out of the energetic current of other people. And that has provided me so much more feeling and emotion than I could have ever expected. Just like a an addendum to that. So I wouldn't really understand how I was feeling with other people, but I would only know how I was feeling or feel a lot when I was alone. And that was something where I was finally in my own energy and I could finally allow myself to feel and I would just let her rip. You know, I was someone that loves a good car cry. Car crying is my favorite. It's the safest space. In my bed is the safest space and the shower is the safest space. So when I would overfeel or not overfeel, but when I would really, really be feeling a lot, it was usually alone because I didn't feel safe with other people. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing your experience. (laughs) And I've never heard that word before. It's so interesting thinking about matching people emotionally. Mm -hmm. I know for me as an empath, one, I didn't realize that I was an empath until I was probably in my early 30s when I figured out like, oh, this is what is going on. But I was definitely a sensitive person. But up until that point, it was kind of like, oh, you're too sensitive or Leanne's just being sensitive when really what was going on. And this is when I was living overseas, actually, when I was working at Mind Valley. And it's an incredible company, but there was at the time, maybe 60 people, all, all young. We've all uplifted our lives. We've moved across the world. We're living together, working together, like you're in close quarters. And there was a ton going on. And I would just feel everything. And I was the office crier. And it was like, I don't want to be the office crier. I don't want to be the person who cries all the time. And people would say, I would either be like, oh, it's so beautiful. Or like, oh, you're too sensitive. And mm-hmm. I really, for the longest time, I saw my sensitivity as a negativity and not as a superpower. And it's really taken a lot of personal work to be able to lean in and be like, okay, I see the good in this. I see how it can be a superpower. But what I realized for me is that my empathy was really, when I'm a kinesthetic empath, for sure, like I feel things in my body and I feel what's going on in other people. And then I feel their emotions, so like physical, physically emotions and and just kind of like I, I would just feel off. And I think that I spent most of my life sensing what people were going through before they even knew what they were going through. And I didn't really even know it. It was all happening subconsciously. And then the people pleaser side of me kicked in like big time. And I would adjust my behavior to try to keep you know, everyone feeling good and make everyone happy. And it's kind of ironic that the the tagline at the Glojo is fuel your feel good. And then I would always be like, I want everyone to feel good. And I would put this pressure on myself. And 
now when I say fuel your feel good, it really is about getting in in touch with your inner truth and living in alignment with that. But it, it's yeah, interesting. It's like feel to, your feels. <laughs> yeah. And they're totally feel like feel your feels. It's been such an interesting experience. And now I do see it's a superpower for you. How do you use it as a superpower? And how have you been able to you know, I guess like whether you've needed to rewire, I, w- I won't project, but for me, I definitely had to rewire my relationship with my empathy and my ability to be a deep feeling sense of like I'm a highly mm-hmm. sensitive person. Yeah, I think one of them, you know, even going back, one of the ways in which I've been able to have rewire it in my brain as a superpower and accept it as a superpower and see the deep feeling as a superpower is going back to old memories that I have much like the one that you did at Mind Valley, where you were the office crier. At my first job, I was in finance management consulting and we had a cry room. So we had a room, me and a few gals at my office had a room on the 13th floor that was a designated for crying. So whenever we had a moment or a feeling, we'd go to the designated cry room and I would cry and feel my feelings so much at work. Anytime my boss would talk to me, I was emotional. I was all the things. And During that time, I felt really off. I felt really shameful. I felt really confused and I just felt very different. And now as I've really understood my sensitivity even more, part of my process is accepting all the times in which I felt like I was feeling too much. And so really, really going back to that memory and looking like, wow, I was really young and I was working in an office that had bright, bright fluorescent lights that had little access to windows that had food that wasn't nourishing my body that had people that weren't living in their truth or living aligned that had all of these aspects and things that also affect the way that we feel in our bodies as sensitives and so i wasn't being set up for success at all i was really living this life that was not supporting my body mind and soul as a sensitive person. So it was really, really hard. So it's very normal that I was feeling these feelings and going through this process of my emotions. So I accept that part. So that happens with that type of experience. And then all the other experiences in my life where I was really, where I can really go back to the aspects of me that were feeling and just honor that, just honor the beauty of how much I was feeling and how sensitive I am and my deep desire as a soul to serve as a feeler, to serve as a psychic sponge, to serve as someone that has many gifts that had to go offline for a little bit. I think the most important part of taking your power back as an empath, though, is finding all the ways in which you're unconscious in your empathy. So the reason why I was very hesitant to call myself an empath for a lot of times is because I think the way that people use the word empath is in a way of victim mindset and victim consciousness, where they will say, I'm an empath. And they're meaning that they are a victim to the energetics around them. So if there's a toxic person, you know, they feel off, they feel bad, they feel uncomfortable. If there's a narcissist, they're a delicious meal for a narcissist. And I didn't want that to be my story. So we have to really find the ways in which we are being victim to the energy of the places we are in. And how we can understand our own energy is to be really mindful of what we feel like when we're alone, to do a lot of energetic hygiene through aura cleansing, 
through your own energetic practices. Maybe you, you uh, take up Reiki, maybe you spend time in nature, but you really have to be honest with yourself during this process and be able to see yourself out of the victim mentality. Most people as empaths want to stay in the victim mentality and say, I need to get away from toxic people. I need to get away from people that have bad vibes and bad energy and all of these things. Yes, there's a part of that where you may need to remove yourself from those energies while you can heal and understand what your energetic signature is, but you also need to be able to have enough energetic protection and boundaries and even enough energetic confidence to be like, this is not going to affect me because I'm in my own experience. So being able to really look at the ways you've been playing into the victim mindset of an empath is really, really important. And then the third thing is finding all of the gifts that I have as being an empath. Um, one example is that we as empaths feel everything so much more. Everything is so heightened for us, especially from a sensory perspective. So music is so beautiful for empaths. It can be really harmful if we're listening to the wrong music, but it can be a really beautiful healing experience for us to listen to music. Nature can be incredibly healing. One of my gifts is animal communication. I love animals. I've been able to communicate with them since I was little. And so by thinking about all the ways that it's positive in my life, I can really step into those gifts even more. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. There's so much there. And I'm going to try to always take you to a few mental Story notes while still, while still yes. listening. No, that's incredible. So I love, I think, I know for me, I definitely fell into the victim mode to begin with. And it was like, it's so hard. It's not fair. You don't understand what it's like. And unfortunately, I do think empaths get a bad rap a lot of times. And it's not something that I talked about really. And I still will use the word feeler or yes. an energetically sensitive person because I do think that there's you know, it's like there's a lot of empaths who, and I still fall into this, you know, it's it's an evolution for me, but I think that you can be an unconscious empath and learning, I just love how you said, like learning, like being aware of your patterns is huge. And so I actually did an episode on energy management and I'm a huge believer, like I, I'm all for like energy management versus time management. And I actually have a like it's just a simple process where you actually go through and you just track throughout your day. What were you doing? Who were you with? Where were you? How did you feel? And it's the most simple thing, but actually taking the time to be aware and notice how you feel when you're doing certain things or you're with, with certain people, it's been an absolute game changer. And before we started recording, we were talking about, you know, I took the podcaster pro course, I was going to say program, but that's too many P's in a row. But I took that course back in COVID and I was up in Canada and it was like isolated and it was like, oh man, it was tough. And I'm like, I'm tired of being alone. I'm spending too much time alone. And then after I realized, oh my God, I actually really like being alone. I got lonely, but not actually that much. There was like a couple little specific windows, but I realized how much I just love being in my own energy because I don't need to field and be, I don't need to feel, I don't need to field, I don't need to figure things out. And it was so incredible for my nervous system. And I actually feel like it's allowed me to spend time healing my nervous system and resetting in a way that now I can see was such a beautiful gift that never in a million years would I have given myself if that wouldn't have happened. It's uh, huge. Yeah. I did the 
a darkness retreat. Yes, which I want to talk about was, this. <laughs> yes. So a darkness retreat is basically sensory deprivation. So it's you in pitch black, no human contact, no um, devices, no um, internet, no um, light at all for the entirety of the time. You get around by feeling, just you know, kind of sensing where things are, remembering where they were before the lights went out. And I did this for three days and four nights um, in the middle of Oregon in this cave. And um, it was it was what you were saying about being alone in your own energy times a hundred, because I realized during that how in reaction to life we are. Mm -hmm. You know, as an example, me sitting here, I'm in reaction to uh, my cats are over there cleaning themselves. So I'm kind of thinking about them. I'm in reaction to the temperature of the room, to you right here on this, to the seat that, that I'm in, to what I'm wearing, to the light that there is outside, to what I just ate for lunch, to all of these things. We are currently and constantly in reaction to things. So to pull away any type of sensory input at all to be in my own energy field was the craziest thing, you know, to feel myself as I am without anything else. Because as empaths, we're reacting to things a lot of times, or we're sensing things a lot of times, was just the most beautiful, nourishing thing. And I don't know if I'll ever feel that um, at peace or relaxed unless I do it again, because it was like the deepest rest, the deepest sleep, the deepest being with myself and even the most scary psychological experience of a lifetime. But as empaths, it's really important that we clean ourselves energetically or not clean ourselves, but we just make sure that we have energetic hygiene to be mindful of whose energy we're picking up on, whose energy we're taking with us, whose energy we're subconsciously processing, which I do quite a bit. And mm -hmm. how can we get back to our own divine soul blueprint? And the darkness really allows us to do that. Nature also allows us to do that. Being at the beach does. And finding those parts in time in our life where we can just kind of get back to center and get back to you. Yeah, yeah. There's so many. I've I I have questions about the retreat, but I just want to piggyback off of what you said with the energetic hygiene. I've been working with this woman. It's been almost ten years, which is wild to think. And I get an energy bath from her every quarter. And if it starts to slip, it's funny because I don't even pre-book. But if it, I just intuitively know when it's time to reach out and it's, it's about every quarter. And if I go past that, I start to feel full and kind of icky and things just aren't, you know, things just aren't like working or flowing as well. And, um, I do course creation. I help experts create courses. And so one of the experts I worked with, she actually had an energy clearing component of her program. And that really helped me realize one, yeah, I'm super empathic. And two, it gave me some skills and tools to know how to go through and clear things. I know for me, a few energetic things that I've done over the years and will do, and it kind of changes based on what I'm going through. One, I love grounding. When it's in the summer, you will find me. I love to starfish in the grass. 
I love star fishing on the grass and, you know, feeling the support of the earth. And I'll go, I have a few favorite trees that I go to and I'll take off my shoes. And I just love feeling my feet on the ground. And that's so helpful. I love calling in Archangel Michael. I learned this call in from a friend and someone I interviewed on, on um, the podcast as well, but it was calling in Archangel Michael to help like clear and put a protection bubble. And so I have a lot of kind of clearing and cleansing techniques and then protection techniques. Is there something that's like a go-to for you? Yes, I'm glad we're talking about this. And I think for anyone listening, you know, sometimes when we're new to this work, we can be like, okay, well, how do I do that? You know, how do I, how do I do all these things? And that's what's so beautiful and so hard to understand sometimes about energetics is because it's all the unseen. You know, most of what we experience in life is unseen. So there's such an unseen element to it. So it can be a little overwhelming at first. And I think people can feel a little insecure about their abilities in this, but you have everything that you need. And all it really takes is a clear intention. And you can get really crazy and out there with it. Of course, you can go wild with your angels or your galactic team or whoever, but it really is just like the clarity and, and um, intention that matters. So for me, each night I will ask my angels and spirit team, um, my divine and sacred guides to help support and remove any energy that is not my own from my aura and from my essence. And so they will support me in doing that. I will ask them to tend to my cords. So the energetic cords that we have in life are the cords that connect us to people that we love, to people that we don't love, to people that we are connected with in our lifetime. So you have a cord with your boss, you have a cord with your husband or wife, you have a cord with your mother or sister or friend. And these are cords of energy that live between you that help connect you to one another. So when we ask them to tend to our cords, they can help support in aligning the cord to the highest timeline or the best experience for you both. A lot of times we can think about a cord when we're connected to an ex where we can just be thinking about them all the time. We kind of know they're thinking about us. We know there's unfinished business. We want closure. We want to have that conversation. Oftentimes that's a cord that maybe needs to dissolve between you two so you can go on your separate ways and you're kind of still psychically connected and talking through that cord. Um, so I'll ask them to tend to my cords. And then the most important thing is that I'll ask them to repair any holes, rips, or tears in my aura. So our aura is the energetic field, the electromagnetic field that exists around us. It goes four to five feet out from us. And if you're, you know, a guru, if you're the Buddha, it can go like 10 to 15 feet out. It's just really beautiful experience of, of our aura. So when you're kind of catching up on someone's vibe or you are vibing with someone, it's really that your auras are a match and the energy that you both emit is a match. And so by asking them to repair any rips, tears, or holes in my aura, I can make sure that I have a really healthy radiant aura that can withstand any energetic inferences that I may encounter on a daily basis. We can get rips, tears, or holes when we are um, in like low vibrational situations, when we have psychic attack, when we are not living our aligned life. When we are, you know, doing a lot of plant medicines, there's a lot of different ways that we can have rips, tears, or holes in our aura, but it's really, really good to have a healthy aura. Interesting. I love that. Thank you for sharing. And mm -hmm. I know one of the things that my energy balancing and energy cleansing lady does is she'll look at my boundaries. She's like, they were shattered. And so I'm going to incorporate that. Like, 
why not actually start calling that in and and doing that Mm -hmm. for myself? A couple other practical things, just when we're sharing tips for people listening, sometimes throughout the day, if I'm busy or if I'm at an event and I just need to like reground and recenter, I just run my hands under really cold water and Mm. it feels so good. It is a refresher. And I think it's like, when I love water, I'm a Pisces and it's like, I love all things water. It just makes me feel good. But there's something about like the cold water and it's just like visualizing, like rinsing, rinsing, rinsing things away, letting things go. And I'll do the same thing in the shower as well. Just like showering with the intention that I'm sh- I'm showering away and rinsing away the debris of, of the day, of others, of, you know, and it's like, and sometimes I know I, I go somewhere and I'm like, I need to change my clothes ASAP. These need to come off of yes. me as soon as I get home. And it sounds weird, but it's so like there's certain times where I'm like, this thing needs to be washed ASAP and I cannot be wearing this anymore. Have you ever had that? <laughs> That's a genius. That's genius. Yeah. Because our clothes, you know, are essentially they can hold energy. And so oftentimes when we're wearing certain things, it can hold sense if we're looking mm-hmm. at it from a bigger perspective from the energy. And it can also hold your energy. So I think that's a beautiful one. Showering is huge. Showering is so powerful. I mean, water as the ultimate cleanser, the ultimate solvent, like the actual element of water as something that can really cleanse and clear. Grounding on the earth is really good. Um, you know, the earth omits um, a negative ionic frequency. And when we are out of balance, we omit a positive ionic frequency. So the earth can really help us to balance the ions in our body so that we feel much better. So I really love those. And then also turning off our devices, turning off any music or any media or (laughs) podcasts. Yeah. I think I know I need to do this more. Yes. I think the devices is really underrated. I think when we have music playing all the time or podcasts all the time, that's omitting a frequency wave that our antennas, our energetic antennas are always picking up on. So how can we turn off the lights, turn off our devices, turn off our podcast, turn off YouTube, and just sort of let our energy be as it is without any interference? I used to listen to podcasts when I would go for a walk. Mm-hmm. I'm like, seawall walk, ocean podcasts. And now this year, I'm like, seawall walk no podcasts, don't be on my phone, actually enjoy the time that I have in nature. And it's been hard. (laughs) I'll find myself getting slippery. And it's only like what, like the beginning of January. And so it's definitely, it's a practice, but it's something I'm aware of. So thank you for mentioning that. Um, Yeah, it's huge with the walking. You know, there's a lot of research around around walking. Um, I love walking. The Japanese call it forest bathing, which is you know, walking in nature. So they call uh, walking in nature forest bathing actually, and it helps really reset our nervous system. It's really supportive for stress and for inflammation and for feeling really mentally clear. And it's unfortunate because when we live in busy cities, I live in Los Angeles, I've lived in Chicago and New York. When we're walking in the city, it actually doesn't benefit us as much as it does when we walk in nature because we have so much that our eyes are sensing, that we're reacting to, that we're in conversation with energetically, it can still be really stressful. So if you're in nature and you're on your phone, it's not going to be as beneficial or relaxing as it is to just be off your phone in nature. So try as best as you can to get in nature, to get outside, to be off your devices, to be off of um, anything that's like electronic and get you know alone with your thoughts. Yeah, thank you. Good, good advice. Um, I want to talk more about the Sky Cave Retreat that you were just at. 
that speaks to me so deeply. Um, you do well. The very, I think the very first thing I was like, I just want to sleep and give myself time to rest. And I'm, I, I'm at the tail end of a cold. And my friend on the weekend, she's like, why don't you allow yourself to just be sick? I'm like, that's a really great question. Why don't I let myself just freaking be sick? Why am I always pushing? Why am I feeling the need to like go, go, go and continue to, even though I give myself this downtime, there still is pressure. And whether I'm able to fully sink into it, that doesn't always, I'll give it to myself, but like my mind is still going half the time. And so what was the, what were some of your biggest takeaways? And I know you just mentioned like psychologically, it was this challenging thing. I can imagine there's a part of me that's like, oh my God, it would be amazing. Nobody would be able to get a hold of me. I wouldn't have to talk to anyone. I could just be by myself and I could sleep like 20 hours a day. And then the other part would be all distractions are removed. You have zero you're you're with yourself and that can be a confronting experience at the best of times when everything is stripped away and we're left with with ourselves and our thoughts. Yeah, I think there's a few things that you mentioned then I'll talk about the the retreat, but it's interesting when your friends like why can't you just be sick? And and Lindsay and I, my podcast co-host, we're writing a book and in it we're talking a little bit about burnout and something that our community struggles with, something that a lot of people in our generation struggle with is burnout. And I was doing a little bit of research on burnout and one of the Google searches for burnout was fastest way to get over burnout. And I was like, this is so hilarious because it's part of the problem. You know, part of the problem is wanting to go fast, wanting to get over being sick, wanting to be done being sick, wanting to be done being burnt out, wanting to be over it, and not allowing ourselves to actually be in it and feel the medicine that it has for us during the time. So as uncomfortable as it can be to be sick, what medicine does it have for you? What is it trying to tell you? What is the lesson that you are meant to learn in the process? And then, um, you know, the mind keeping us from actually being at peace and rest is one of the biggest things for people. And that's why one of my favorite quotes is, wherever you go, there you are. Wherever you go, there you are. Because, you know, we can be at a retreat and we can be in a darkness cave where there's nothing else and it's quiet and we can sleep and, you know, there's no one around us. But if our mind and mental state is not right, it can be a prison. And I was actually talking to a friend recently and we were talking about when we were really struggling with um, depression and anxiety. And for me, that was in my early 20s. Um, I remember feeling like I was a prisoner to my mind and that I could not go anywhere without the loop thoughts, the repeat, the repetition, all of these things that I was thinking about never leaving me, always being present in my mind and being able to now have peace in my mind and peace in my body and peace in my experience is one of the greatest gifts. So in the darkness, I was really able to see how far I've come from a mental health perspective. And although the first day I would say, um, I was really anxious, you know, it had been, um, it's an experience where time, you don't really know what's going on from a time perspective. You have no idea what time it is. So the person that runs the retreats, his name is Scott. He's super sweet. He comes and checks on you every single day. So he'll drop off your meals and he'll just say, hey, how's it going? How are you? Just to make sure. And what he's doing is he's coming up to the door outside of your room. So there's no light. You're not seeing him. You're not you know, able to connect with him that way, but you hear his voice on the other side of the door. 
And I remember the first day he came and said, you know, hey, Krista, how are you doing? And at that time, I was this close to falling asleep. I was like about to fall asleep for the night. I was really ready. I was in bed. I was in that phase where you're just almost there, where you're kind of hovering between awake and asleep. And he came to the door and said that, and I was so pissed. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? I just was about to fall asleep. I've been up all day, you know, all of these things. So I said, in an effort to be honest, I said, you know, I'd really love if you could come earlier tomorrow. I'm about to fall asleep for the night and I know it's late. And he goes, well, Krista, it's actually 4.30 p.m. and it's not nighttime. And I was like, oh my gosh. And so this realization that I had five more hours until, you know, the supposed normal bedtime of 9.30 when I go to bed gave me the most anxiety. I was like, I have to spend not only five more hours, but another few days in the dark by myself. And I was, my mind just went off the freaking rails crazy. Just what am I doing here? Why am I doing this? Why do I have to learn through pain? Am I doing this for someone else? Am I doing this for you? Am I doing this for my audience? Like, what is the point of me being here? And I really had to just allow that to happen and give myself permission to have every single one of those thoughts and every single one of those feelings and every single one of those emotions and just really be there through the process. And that's really how we find more self-love is accepting all parts of us. So even the part of me that is like, why the heck did you not come earlier? I'm about to fall asleep. Being like, oh, I love that part of me. I love that part of me that's like got a little boundary. She's a little sleepy. You know, she's scared. I love the part of me that feels is unsure if she's doing this for her, if she's doing it for someone else. You know, how can I love all parts of me? And so each day brought a different sort of mental experience and process. A lot of mine was grief. You know, I felt a lot of grief. I felt a lot of almost the unprocessed emotions that I had stuffed down over the years all coming up for me to feel, all coming up for me to process because they had the time and space. And on the third day, I was able to feel enough peace with myself and enough joy of being alone that it was really enjoyable. And I did have a lot of sleep. I was able to rest and I was able to let myself be in a way that I never had before. Because most of the time, you know, if I went away or I traveled or I was like, I'm going to go stay in a hotel for a few nights. I would be at the hotel and I'd be on my phone at night. I'd be walking in the morning. I'd be, you know, having lunch by the pool. I'd be writing my writing or all of these things. And I actually, I was resting, but I wasn't really resting in the way that I was resting in the dark, that you're allowed to rest in the dark. So I really discovered how much I had avoided resting and sleeping and a true nervous system reset that I really, really needed when I was there. Yeah, it's fascinating to me, this whole concept of dark retreats and I guess like the emotional, psychological, physical benefits. When you were talking, so I listened to both episodes on this and I'll make sure I link to them in the show notes. So if anyone's interested about the logistics and and more on this, I'll make sure that I link to those episodes and you can listen to Krista share more about that. But something you said triggered this. Um, and it was, it was basically around healing and why we do things. Are we doing things out of self-love because we love ourselves and we want to nourish ourselves? Or are we doing things out of self-hate or because we think there's something wrong with us or we need to, you know, insert whatever crazy expectation we have from society? Um, what are your, like, how is that, how's your relationship to, healing shifted because I know for me, 
I spent years like convinced there was something wrong with me. I've never really felt like I fit in. I feel like on the outside I fit in, but on the inside yeah. I've always felt like kind of the weirdo or the the misfit or the odd one out. And so he's been like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I be satisfied with this? Why can't this be enough? Or why can't I feel normal? Or why do I whatever? And I know so much of my healing journey, which I'm really grateful for, but so much of what I sought out was actually from a place of disapproval versus like, I love myself so much that I want I want the best for myself and I want to heal. So I'm curious to hear your your journey with that as well. Yeah, I'm actually going to record a solo episode all about that today. It's Just a good that one. yeah, it's such a good one. And that was so profound for me because um <clears throat> being in the space that I'm in in the spirituality, health, and wellness space and having a podcast where we interview some of the most prolific health and wellness spiritual teachers, we had access to so many different tools and resources and modalities and diets and you know workouts and healers and all these things. And I remember the first couple of years almost like binging it all. Like do trying keto, trying, you know, this workout, trying this healer. It was like we had a psychic reading probably once a week. We had a, an astrologer probably once a week. It was just an overload of information and things and appointments and all these things. And there was one day when I was in Los Angeles and I was coming from a cryotherapy appointment, going to an acupuncture appointment. And earlier that day, I'd probably been at another appointment. And I was so late to my cryotherapy appointment because I had gotten out late in my acupuncture, blah, blah, blah. And I was so freaking stressed out. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be late. I hate being late. I feel so rude. I, ugh, I just don't like it. And I was like, I am so stressed that anything that I'm doing today is null and void. My cryotherapy, my acupuncture is completely null and void because I'm just so stressed out through the entire process of going to all these appointments, meeting with all these people, you know, trying all these diets. And I was like, what is my actual desire here for what I'm doing? Like, why am I actually going to cryotherapy if I think about it? Okay. At that time, I was trying to go because I thought it would help me lose weight because cryotherapy can help with inflammation. It can help you burn calories. My acupuncture, I was going because people said it was good and they liked it. I didn't even know why I liked it. And I realized that a lot of the things that I was doing, I wasn't doing it because I loved myself and because I wanted to show myself I loved myself and I wanted to really honor and respect my process. It was because I wanted to be different and because I wanted to not be who I was. And so in that journey, I've really scaled back on everything that I'm doing. And I really, really am mindful about which tools and resources I use and which things I'm trying to do, because I think we should use all the tools and resources as ways to love ourselves more rather than to feel further away from ourselves. And that's why I love things like um, my dear friend, Jenna Zoe, who does human design. She has a really beautiful app called My Human Design. It's really powerful to understand aspects of human design or astrology or um, you know, Enneagram to love yourself more and to find ways to know yourself better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have that app. I love it. Mm -hmm. um, learning that I'm a manifester and like learning and sort of leaning into that, it it's starting, it's really helping. It's, I don't want to say it's totally changed my life, but it's like transforming. It's in the process. Mm -hmm. um, and there's just so much more. For me, I love seeking things out and learning more about myself to increase my self-awareness and then there's that level of acceptance and realizing, like you said, like, why am I doing these things? Um, I have this amazing chiropractor. He's pretty magical. He's not a normal, I'll say, like, he's not a normal chiropractor. And when I lived where I did before, he was a lot closer to me. 
Now it's quite a ways for me to get there. And it got to the point where I'm like, these, I don't go as often, unfortunately, but it's because it was so stressful because I would drive and I'd have to go over this, like a couple bridges. And that's where the traffic, like get stuck in traffic. And my, I was so stressed just with going there and coming back and running late. I'm like, this is actually taking away. This is adding way more stress to my life. And so I'm a lot more intentional with my appointments now and making sure that I have this space. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I know for me, one of the things that I've really been intentional about over the last couple of years is creating more space for integration. I think I was like you, fire hose on. And I've been in, oh my gosh, I started working at Mind Valley in 2009. And it was just like, I get to learn all these things. And then just inherently with the work that I do, I'm always learning things from these from these experts. And I've realized like I do not need to be in learning mode all the time. And if I'm doing a big client project, I kind of make sure that I balance that out personally by having fun or unplugging and just letting myself kind of be. But the integration process and the integration period after a big experience I feel like that's what's missing and people don't give themselves that. It's like you go have this big, this big sort of breakthrough moment or experience. And then like two days later, you're just back into normal life and your system isn't necessarily back on track. You're kind of trying to make sense of everything. You just keep going. You don't get the benefits. It's huge. I feel like that's, we've just as a collective just been so go, go, go and the receiving, you know, a lot of times integration is really receiving. You're receiving the information. You're receiving the gifts. You're receiving the rest. You're receiving the wisdom. You're receiving all these aspects of the work that you've put out. And I feel like we as a collective have such an issue with receiving. You know, We feel like there's things tied to it. We feel like we're not worthy of it. We feel like um, it'll go away if we actually acknowledge it. And so a lot of the integration part was really working on my ability to receive and really being able to be in my body enough to trust that like integration was necessary and happening. And when we think about, you know, the energetics of like a toroidal field or even an infinity symbol, you know, there has to be energy out, but there also has to be space for energy to go in. And I realized with my manifestation process, um, you know, I was so adamant about my manifestation process for a few years and it created really beautiful things in my life. But I was so busy in the masculine of manifesting and writing the lists and, you know, doing all the things that I wasn't actually creating the energetic space for the new energy to come in. So I was putting energy out into the world like, this is what I want, this is what I want, this is what I want. But there was actually no void or space for the energy to come back in. Um, And so I had to really create that space and I had to really make an intentional act to create enough emptiness, enough of a void for a new refreshing energy, the energy that I actually desired to come into my life. So integration should happen um, whenever we go through a big life change, whenever we go through something that's really hard, something that's traumatic, whenever we go through something that's really beautiful. I had a dear friend that messaged me or she called me the other day. She um, inherited a bit of money from her grandparents and was just on this high of feeling so safe now financially, which she hadn't felt in a very long time and feeling so lucky that she had this foundation in her bank account. 
And integration is also being with that feeling of feeling safe and feeling held and really integrating the feeling into your body so that you can use it and remember it moving forward of how you want to feel more often. So integration is not only integrating after you've had a hard time or a breakup or, you know, something happens at work. It's also integrating really beautiful moments, but it should be a very much a part of your practice. And I think this also leads into the life, the life edit, which is the program that I created to really match, you know, the woo-woo with um, the practical. And I created the life edit a lot because I had been putting out the energy for my manifestations and there wasn't enough energy in my life for them to come through. So the life edit was really a creation to help us create and align to the future vision, but also to create and remove energy from our life that's stagnant to allow fresh new energy to come in. Yeah, I was just going to say, this is a perfect lead into the life edit. I know I've never done it, but this year, like literally this morning, I was cleaning my office. I reorganized in here and, and I'm like, the feng shui is off. I don't, things aren't in their usual place. And I'm like, I have too much stuff. And I know there's physically, but then energetically creating space in all these different areas of my life. And so um, I'm looking forward to your life edit coming out. And I'll make sure that I share that with the Glowjo community when I see it. I feel like I could talk to you forever. You say something and then something else comes to oh mind. Gosh, I know. So Abraham Hicks, one of the things that they say is being able to allow the good and sit in the good for 18 seconds. All it takes is 18 seconds, and that can actually help to reprogram ourselves on a cellular level where we are able to receive more and receive more good. And then I'm remembering at the beginning of our conversation with Gay Hendricks, and it's the glass ceiling. Like we're literally programmed to only allow so much good into our lives. And when we reach our glass ceiling, which is 99.9% of the nine of the time unconscious, we start, we start to self-sabotage and these different things go on in our life. And so I love that you said like allowing time for integration for when something really positive happens as well. It's huge. Yeah. I love both of those people. So great examples. Something that comes to mind though, perfectionism. What's your, like for me, I struggle with perfectionism so much and I always think that, no, I'm getting better. And then at the end of the day, I'm like, well, I think I have this deep fear of putting myself out there. And there's probably like looped into that is confidence and worthiness and how are people going to, going to perceive me? Like I worked with someone you recommended, actually. There's new, new branding at the Glojo. I'll send you a link. And I loved it. And I literally did nothing with it for five months because I wanted everything to be perfect. And then finally, I was like, screw it. You're updating your website and you're at least doing this. Like, I always have this huge vision that I'm working towards. And I hold myself back all the time because I'm totally like wrapped up in perfectionism and I'm so over it. I'm over that story. That is something that I'm rewriting this year, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Is it something you've struggled with and what has your experience been? Mm -hmm. Yes. I'm a Virgo rising and I have four planets in Capricorn uh -huh. and I am the child of a family that you know, love was very conditional. You know, most of the love I've experienced in my life has been love that is conditional. So that condition was I would look a certain way, I would weigh a certain amount, I would um, be seen a certain way, and I would be successful, and I would be all these things. And for a lot of people, that's the case. You know, a lot of people's love was conditional from their parents. And so when our love is conditional, that creates us a reaction or a trauma response 
of perfectionism. And perfectionism can show up for people in different ways. My perfectionism shows up in um, my self-talk. So not allowing myself to make mistakes, not allowing myself to be wrong, not allowing myself to put myself out there if I'm going to fail, and not allowing myself to really just be human. And this is the whole thing with perfectionism. It's really this desire for us to not be human, for us to not be what we naturally are, which is our imperfect beings here on earth, here to learn. So when we are being perfectionists, we're really just void, like we're really just devoiding ourselves of this beautiful experience to learn and have lessons on earth. And when I personally peeled back the layers on my perfectionism, my perfectionism was the fear was around the fear of being abandoned. I felt like I wouldn't receive love and I would be abandoned if I made a mistake, if I said the wrong thing, if I didn't um you know, make the whole conversation about someone else, if I didn't um, abandon myself for someone else, if I had boundaries. And so I really had to work on um, finding ways to show and prove to myself that I would always be there for myself, to build self-trust, to not abandon myself through the process of perfectionism. So I think if we can, um, as a collective and as a group and for all the listeners, just really think about where that perfectionism comes from. And if you were to fail or if you were to not be perfect, what does that mean? So what does that mean to you? Does it mean you're not going to be loved? You're going to be abandoned. You're going to be shamed. You're going to be, um, you know, made to feel bad. Like what is the experience that you're going to have? And really work with that emotion and feeling so that you can learn to love yourself enough to not be perfect because that really is the goal. And then just as a second point to that, how can we love others when they're not perfect? I think we can talk all day about how we want to love ourselves when we're not perfect, and that's a really beautiful thing, but how can we also love others when they're not perfect? So that means people online that have different opinions than us, people online that do things that we wouldn't do. That means our boss. That means our family and friends. That means the people that we love the most. That means you know, our best friends. When they are doing something that we ourselves would not do or approve of, how can we love them through it? And how can we really, really be the love that we wish to see in the world? Thank you for sharing your perspective on that. And I love you know, for, for me, it's funny. I feel like I'm way more accepting of other people and I'm so hard on myself, but then it's like, am I? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Maybe, you know, I think I have high expectations in general and that can be a double-edged, it can be a double-edged sword, but I'm going to explore my perfectionism more when you were saying the abandoned thing. I'm like, that resonates, but I think there's something there for me around rejection as Mm -hmm. well and will acceptance, you know, it's that, that acceptance and it, it truly is like getting older, <laughs> growing up. It's I I honest, I was sharing a I was having a conversation with a friend yesterday, and I said I finally just feel like like okay, just so so much more okay with life and with things. And I've been revisiting, and this is something that I still haven't done an episode on. Probably like maybe some of the fear of rejection and judgment and all these things my near-death experience that I had, my like out-of-body near-death experience. And lately it's really been on my mind. And when I think about the biggest takeaways from that, it was really around align, like awareness around what truly matters to me and what's important to me. And I think that when we can really sink into what matters to us and our why and 
You know, I think there's why are we here purpose? That's a whole other conversation for another day. But I think just the more that we can start to peel back the layers and just focus on and like tune into what really matters and what's really important, the easier life becomes to navigate. And when we come up against those difficult moments or um, whatever, you know, like the the fears that come up, it's easier to, I don't want to say push through because that's not it, but it's easier to navigate and be gentler with ourselves when our priorities, when we're aligned with like what truly matters to us. So beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me. You're honestly the sweetest. Thank you for holding space for me when I was crying. I was just, oh my gosh, it's so crazy. And thank you. Yeah. I stepped out outside of my comfort zone and thank you for being someone to hold space. And And you rocked um, it. Yeah, just be so beautiful. And thank you for joining the Glojo community today. And you have so much wisdom. I love how you're always trying things. I'm always trying different Mm -hmm. things. And it's a fun way to live. It's also can be like, you know, testing and exhausting and all the other things. But thank you for being you and for doing what you do and sharing so authentically. And um, yeah, thank you for joining me today. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, I mean, whenever I think of you as smile, because I just feel so connected to you and I'm just so grateful for you and part of our community and this space. It it was just such a pleasure to talk and I'm always here for you. I'm always here to hold space. So thank you, Glojo community. I'm excited to connect with you. And Leanne, thanks for another beautiful conversation together. Yeah, likewise. And have a wonderful day. Awesome. Talk to you later. Okay.